Father, again, we come to you. May this moment be yours. May you use my voice to deliver your message. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're back to the journey. Um, we, you might remember a few weeks back, we started with always be prepared to defend the hope that you have in Christ. And we spent uh, four weeks talking about uh, what that looks like. And then Caden Westbrook gave us a testimony and Larry Talbert gave testimony. Our grow groups reported back that some of the conversation that was going on and sharing of story was very powerful for them. Um, so, so that, and that's where we started. So we're moving now into the next section of, of the journey, and it's called, You Have Heard It Said. If you want to know what it is that God asks of us, it makes at least a little bit of sense to go to the source of that knowledge. Jesus has much to say to us. He wants us to be prepared to, to, to live this Christian life. God doesn't just, you know, say, hey, good luck, you know, follow me, but, you know, I'm going to give you no information. He, he wants us. I am convinced that he wants us to know. It's why we're doing WOW on Wednesday night. He wants you to know your purpose. He wants you to know what, what it looks like to live this Christian life. So that's where we're headed. And in my preparation this week, I found this vignette of a sermon by a gentleman named Dr. S.M. Lockridge that speaks to the character of the one that we follow. And it seems fair that we ought to think about the character of Jesus since we're going to be listening and learning from the sermon that he gave us about so what his character is as he points us forward. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? <laughs> My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy. 
He's the key to knowledge. This is, this is who we're talking about, the wellspring of wisdom, the doorway to deliverance, the, the prince of peace, the pathway to righteousness. This is who we're talking about. This is our king. This is the one. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. In John chapter 1, it, it reads, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Amen. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him not a single thing was made. This is who our God is. In him was life. Amen? In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Say that with me. The darkness has not overcome it and will not ever overcome the light of Jesus the Christ. Amen. That's who we're talking about. We're going to look at his sermon. In your bulletin, you're going to find that, that that's my king. Keep this bulletin. If you start to waver, you start to wonder, just go through it. I mean, it's long, <laughs> but it's worth it to remind you whose we are. A friend of mine this week has been sending me reminders every, every day about, you know, who, who I am, but more importantly, whose I am. Because I sometimes lose my identity as a, as a, as a child of God. And, and I get drugged into the world. I don't want to live there. I want to live as a child of the king. I, I want to follow this king. And I want to hear what he has to teach me. Now, I don't want to also mislead you. This sermon that we're going to be spending time with, it is hard stuff. It's challenging. You know why? Because it's supposed to be. Living the Christian life isn't just all roses and sunshine. You know, the enemy don't like us. There is an evil power that doesn't want us to follow Jesus, wants to interfere with everything that we do that leads us down the, down the right path, wants to pull us away from that. And we have to focus. We have to focus. And so we're going to do that. G.K. Chesterton, he, he made this statement, goes something like this. I never get it exactly right, but... He said that the Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. It has been tried and found difficult, or it has been found difficult and left untried. That's the Christian life that we're talking about. We want to follow God. We want to follow who he is. What, what people thought it meant to be a believer and what Jesus says it means to be a believer are usually pretty different. Back then, it was turned everything on its head. You know, you say love your love love your friends and and hate your enemies. I say love your enemy. Whoa, time, isn't that a little bit too far? Yeah, it's a little too far, and that's where I want you to go. You know, Corey did a great job this morning. You know, it's easy to stay in that warm, right? That's not where God's calling us. God wants us on fire for who he is and, and to follow him. And there's a richness of this text that there is no possible way that in a sermon on Sunday morning, I can give you everything that is in this. So let me challenge you yet again. Uh, Kit and I want to start a grow group. We need members. <laughs> there's a connect card on, on the um, clipboard. If you're interested in a grow group, Check that. Check out or write it on there or something and send that in. 
because and it, and there's one going on Tuesday night. They're they're meeting on Sunday morning. Get involved because this is some this, this sermon on the mount is worth spending time in. I can't push you hard enough to to make that effort. Make the effort. It will be worth it. You want to know what Jesus asks of us? We are going to what Jesus said. Sermon on the Mount. It's a book in the back by John Stott. That's kind of the basis of it. There's four of them up there. Um, if you want to make a donation, cool. If, if not, let me tell you something that I believe. See these books on the back? They don't do us a lick of good sitting on the counter back there. I don't care if you can pay for it or not. Take the book. Learn from it. Amen? Amen. So often in churches, we end up with these piles of books, and we don't need them here. I'm not going to read this, all five of those. I've got it on Kindle anyway. Uh, <laughs> take a book. Take a book. Spend some time with it. On the website, you're going to find study guides for this series. I mentioned yet again, a grow group. I'd love for you to be in that. But under resources, even if you're not in a group, under resources on arborpoint.org, you will find a thing, a thing that says participant guide. Those are not kept from you. All you got to do is go print it yourself, and you can follow that outline for this entire series. We, we've spent time preparing this so that we can be together on the journey, and that's what we're going to do. The material is available. Did you know that Jesus was a nonconformist? He lived rebel life. <laughs> he didn't conform. He, he, he didn't fit with, with the patterns of the world back that were going on back then. And, and so for the rest of this morning, the, the passage that we're going to spend time with is primarily Romans 12 2. Don't, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what you're going to find over the next weeks is that Jesus is telling us that we should look, act, and be markedly different from the world. We should look, act, and be markedly different from the world. The church should be noticeable in the way that we love one another. The church should be noticeable in the way that we care for one another. And guess what? The church should really be noticeable in the way that we love our enemies. The way that we love those who persecute us. Blessed. Blessed are those? Wow. Love our enemies. Looked up in Wikipedia. That's the new dictionary now, for nowadays about what a counterculture is. And so that's what, what it is. It says, a counterculture is a subculture whose values and norms of behavior differ substantially from those of mainstream society, often in opposition to mainstream cultural mores. A counterculture. A nonconformist culture. A countercultural movement expresses the ethos and aspirations of a specific population during a well-defined era when opposition, oppositional forces reach critical mass, countercultures can trigger dramatic cultural changes. So when, if the church acted like the church in everything that we do, we would see a difference in the world. 
if the church acted like the church. It lists some things like romanticism, uh, went on from 1790 to 1840, bohemianism, uh, the beat generation. I don't know if we got anybody <laughs> quite, quite remembers the beat generation, but I'm sure we got people who remember the most common of them all from the 60s, the, the hippie subculture, you know. Um, those are subcultures. Th those are countercultural movements. And it's interesting that when you think of the church, you don't necessarily think of counterculture, do you? You don't think that, well, the church is different. We have learned too well to fit in. We've learned too well to fit in. And God is asking us to not do that. Don't do that. Be in the world, but not of the world. And it was also interesting when I was looking, looking this up. On what I looked for Christian counterculture. You know how many I found? None. None. There's no, no there's Christian cult. But there's no, <laughs> no counterculture. And that's at least a little bit troubling. John Stott, the author of the book that we're using, he, he puts it this way. He says, for insofar as the church is conformed to the world and the two communities appear to the onlooker to be merely two versions of the same thing, the church is contradicting its true identity. No comment could be more hurtful to the Christian than the words, but you are no different than anybody else. No comment should be more difficult for us than, you guys are just like everybody else. We're called to be different. Last week we focused on choice, that God has given us the free will to choose good, bad, or lukewarm. We get to choose that, to choose him, or to choose the world. But it's also clear in Scripture, and in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to go into this, that when we choose him, it means that we are to be set apart from the usual way. At the end of the, of, of the passage, I you will be holy for I am holy. Now, I know holy is one of those Christian-y words that you hear holy and you go, oh, great, holier than now and all of that. So, so set aside, if that's you, set that aside and think of it in this way. Holy is simply to be set apart for God's purpose. If you're holy, you're set apart for God's purpose. You're seeking God's purpose and not your own. To be holy is to be set apart. And God wants that from us. That's part of Wednesday too. Worship on Wednesday. We're trying to see what that purpose might be. So throughout this sermon of Jesus's, he points out the way the world acted and then he tells his father what he expected of them or, or his followers what he expected of them. That's how we get the title of this series. Because Jesus would say, oh, Peter, you have heard it said. And then, but now I tell you. You've heard it said, but now I tell you. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at that. So here's kind of what to expect over that period of time. Today is obviously the, the introduction of this series. And then next week, we're going to start with look at looking at what are called the Beatitudes, the, the blessings. And, and we'll talk about what that means and what that looks like. And, and, and as we look at blessed are the poor in spirit. And what in the world? How, how, can, how is that possible? That you, Blessed are the poor in spirit. That can't be right. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. No, blessed are the strong and the ones who take control and do and take over. 
Those are the blessed ones. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. No, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for money and get it because they got stuff and I want stuff. And so obviously they're the blessed ones. We'll continue looking at what this means. These are aspects of the Christian character, what it, the character of a Christian looks like. And then we'll follow that up by, by looking at, at our, what, what our influence on society is kind of supposed to be when we look at being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, because that's who we're called to be. Je- you know, Jesus told us that, so I'm saying that's who we're supposed to be. I think if Jesus said it, it's probably good enough for me because that's my king. <laughs> and then we'll follow that up by, by looking at, at some aspects of Christian righteousness and, and, and some, new, some really tough teaching in, in this. I've got to tell you, you know, when he talks about marriage and oaths and revenge and love for enemies and the stuff that doesn't just come naturally to us, what comes naturally is the opposite of these things, revenge and and. And, and a lot of different things. So, so we'll spend time with that. We'll spend time looking at Christian faith. And Jesus teaches us about prayer and about fasting, about making right choices. And what, are, what is this thing about judging others? And what is that supposed to look like? Because he turns some stuff on its head from what the world thinks, from what most of the church thinks. And, and so we are on the journey together. And the purpose of the journey is at Arbor Point, we have a picture of what it means to be a disciple. And this, the journey is the core. If, you want, if this is your church, and you want to know what it means to be a disciple here at Arbor Point, that's what the journey is all about. Because we're all about discipleships. And by the way, is Lane, Lane you here? Oh, you're here, yeah, I told you this yesterday. The kids who came in yesterday, I'm, this isn't in the message. They would come and they would look at this and they would go, because you can't see it, but you can pass it around. They're stormtroopers or the crew. (laughs) (laughs) But whenever they would look at that, because Noah did discipleship on that block and the Grow to Be You kids put grow to be a disciple they were exposed to the idea I don't care if the stormtroopers what drew them up there they were seeing discipleship I li- in fact I like that a stormtrooper drew them up there kids laughing at me saying yeah you'd like that that was the way it was so w- this is challenging I hope that you'll, you'll continue this process with us this is an important process we want to know what it means to learn from the author the Alpha and the Omega Jesus himself so I want to close the message by challenging you this week to spend some time with Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We've spent, been here before, but I w- we need to breathe this in. We need to breathe in this passage. And my prayer is that God's going to show each of us the areas that we need to work on to become mature in our faith. Often in scripture, you'll read, be perfect. The word generally is from a Greek word, teleos. Teleos means to be mature more than to be perfect. We are called to be mature. Not to be baby Christians our whole life. 
Can I pick on you? Okay. So I want you to imagine Caden walked in here this morning with a bottle because he was going to need it for food because he ain't never been on, you know, he's been on, the, on a baby bottle his whole life and he's still a baby. You'd like, it's silly, isn't it? Why do we do that with our Christianity? We're not supposed to be on the bottle. We're not supposed to be in diapers. I was going to do that, but I didn't. (laughs) 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 We're not supposed to be baby Christians our whole life. We're supposed to grow up. Jesus challenges us in this sermon. It's all about growing up. So there's a little video. uh, As this video is playing, it's just the, the scriptures, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Think about and pray about, okay, God. Where is it and what is it that you would have me focus on and and where are you trying to take me in this series? Therefore, I urge you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. You'll be changed from the inside out. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 